So we've been in a summer series called Whosoever Believes. And what we've been doing is we've gone through the letters of the New Testament. We started in Romans and we're going to finish in Revelation. And the letters of the New Testament are something that God preserved for us so that we could know how the early church lived under apostolic teaching and how to follow Jesus and what it meant to be part of his church. And so we're kind of taking the crescendo passages in each one of these letters, trying to dig out the context so that you, when you go home, you can read your Bible better. And that when you read it for yourself, you can remember the context and how to read it. That's been our hope and goal and our discipleship to Jesus. So today we're looking at 1 Peter. And, you know, how many know we live in a, uh, a hope-starved world? You look around our world, it's, you read the news and it's depressing. You watch the news, it's depressing. But the good news is none of this phases the gospel. The good news actually surfaces in the middle of bad news and in the middle of hopelessness. And that's what God wants us as his people to live in this living hope that we just sang about. Live in, in, in hope and spread the hope that we have. I remember when the pandemic happened and I made a statement that we need a pandemic of hope. That's still true today. It needs to spread to every life, every neighbor, every, every person. So when you think about Peter, think about his life. Think about what Peter actually went through. Peter is a Jewish fisherman, very blue collar, hardworking guy. And he gets a call from Jesus to be his follower to be for Jesus to be his rabbi. And Jesus, as he did often, would walk along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, which some of us are going to do in October, which is going to be really cool, and some of us have done before. And one day, Peter, he, he's out, been out fishing all night, and he comes in and he got skunked that night. People who are fishermen in this room or fisherwomen, Getting skunks, not fun. I guess a bad day fishing is better than most days for a lot of people anyway. But Peter, this is his livelihood. He's depending upon a haul of fish to feed his family. And he gets skunked and Jesus sees him and he says, go back out and cast your nets at the worst time of day to fish. And I put myself in Peter's shoes in that moment and I'm thinking, he probably thought, huh, I'm the professional fisherman. You're a carpenter. When I need carpentry tips, I'll come to you, master. But I'm the fisherman. But I'm sure in his inner turmoil, he turned that to, no, I've seen something different about this Jesus. And he says, because you say so, I will. And he goes back out in his boat. And he brings in this miraculous amount of fish. And he knew that Jesus was in charge of what had happened. And he comes, falls before Jesus in repentance. And Jesus says, listen, from now on, you're going to be a fisher of men. And he completely changed his life. Now, most of us can probably relate to Peter that he had hand and foot, uh, foot and mouth disease. Not hand and foot, that's a different thing. The foot and mouth disease where you, you, you don't think before you speak. He had zeal without wisdom. He was uh, an idealist 
who had to have life truly humble him. Jesus told the disciples that he was going to have to suffer and die at the hands of sinful men. He told them that right after Peter had the revelation that Jesus was the Messiah, he was the Christ. And when Jesus said that, Peter said, not on my watch, Lord, I'll die for you. You remember what Jesus says. He says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Peter had his agenda that he wanted to, yes, you're the Messiah, but I'm going to use you to make Israel great again. You're going to free us from the tyranny of Rome, and we're going to be on a pedestal again as God's people. But that wasn't Jesus' agenda. His agenda was to come and to live a perfect life, die for us, and rise again to defeat our real enemies of not Rome or Babylon or anybody else, but to defeat our enemies of sin, death, and the evil one. So Peter got, got rebuked in his agenda. And Jesus actually even told him, he said, listen, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's following the night Jesus was betrayed. Peter's following Jesus around from a distance, trying to see what's going on. And three different times, uh, somebody says, aren't you with Jesus of Nazareth? Aren't, Aren't you one of his? And each time he denied. And the last one was a little girl said, aren't you with Jesus of Nazareth? And he said, I don't even know him. And he cowers down there. Well, after that third denial, Peter goes out and he weeps bitterly. He's so discouraged. And then he sees him crucified and that Jesus died. And as Jesus died, Peter's hopes and dreams died. All that he thought Jesus was going to do died on a cross and he saw him get buried Jesus had said over and over three days later I will rise three days later and on the third day he did rise and he appeared to some women and they ran back and told told the disciples that Jesus had risen from the dead and they were confused and Peter ran to the tomb and he saw that it was empty And hope began to rise inside of him. Something had happened. And then ultimately, Jesus appears to Peter. And he restores his hope. He takes him back to the Sea of Galilee. He restores him three times for those three denials. And he commissions him to go be a leader in the early church. As a matter of fact, on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached to the masses and thousands of people put their faith in Jesus, thus the birth of the church. The one who got scared by a little girl ends up being crucified upside down as a martyr. He was crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord was crucified. So he, where did this bravery, where did this courage come from? Well, he had a living hope now. He had a living hope that went beyond anything he could imagine. This is the guy we're hearing from this morning. I wanted to set that up so that when we read the words of Peter to the churches, we know who we're talking about, the background. And I want to say this before I continue. Life can bring some troubles to us, tragedies, difficulties. And it feels like you're at a dead end. 
Maybe you've been through a, a divorce, a deep breakup. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe things didn't go the way you thought they were going to go. Maybe you got a bad health diagnosis. And all of a sudden you feel like, man, I'm at a dead end here. And what is a dead end? When you get there, you just have to put it in reverse, turn around and go somewhere, go back. But God takes what feels like a dead end and he turns them into detours to something even better, to, to a deeper knowledge of his grace, to a deeper faith for our roots to go deeper in him. Go back to this for a moment. What did the disciples feel after they saw Jesus dead? I'm sure they felt hopeless. They were grieving. They had lost their hopes and dreams. And as I was putting this together, I was thinking, you know, I've been doing pastoral ministry for coming up on 27 years. And I've had so much joy with watching people grow and follow Jesus and find healing and hope and restoration in relationships. But I had two things that came to my mind in the last 27 years. Two of the most difficult things I've ever had to do in ministry were to walk two families through a suicide. There was the first one, they were both 19-year-old young males. And the first one, he got so hopeless because him and his girlfriend, who he wanted to marry, they broke up. And he was hopeless to the point he took his own life. What do you say? Like, what am I going to say? What's anybody going to say? And I remember presiding over the, the memorial and just seeing the weeping and the tears and the agony. I thought, wow, Jesus, only you can bring hope in this hopeless situation. Second one, I got called out um, to go to a home of a mom whose son took his life. And I walk in with a bunch of strangers. I didn't know anybody. There's this mom grieving on a couch. But the Lord, what in the world am I going to say to her? And she told me that he took his life because he had gotten a felony on his record. And what's the point of living if I can't work? I, I won't have a career. So he got so hopeless, he took his life. That was painful. Painful for them, obviously. Well, the good news is, when it comes to Jesus, three days later, the disciples and Peter's hopelessness turned into a living hope. That's, what Pete, that's the place that Peter's coming from as we're going to read his words here in just a minute. And I want you to get this today. We are never hopeless because of Jesus. I don't care what the circumstances you find yourself in, you are never ever, ever hopeless. He is a living hope who triumphed in victory over our sin, over death, and over the powers of darkness. Peter says this, he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, 
who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls." To be discouraged or to feel despair is to be deprived of hope. That's what that, when we're discouraged, when we're in despair, our hope tank is low and it needs to be refueled with the reality of Jesus. And so the antidote to discouragement and to defeat and to hopelessness is hope, is to have hope. And hope is having confidence in Jesus' faithfulness to his word and to his promises. I say this a lot, and I'm reminding myself of this. Our hope can never rest on something or someone that can be taken from us. People can be taken from us. Money, careers, Lord knows 401ks, the stock market, whatever it is that all can be taken away. We can't put our hope in these things. Our hope has to be in something that can't be taken away. There's three things in Jesus that cannot be taken from you and I in spite of our circumstances. Number one, eternal life. Jesus said that though he's the resurrection and the life, though someone who trusts in him dies, they will live. And then also we have his peace. He said, my peace I I leave with you, not peace like the world gives, But my peace, worldly peace is based upon circumstances. His peace is in spite of circumstances. And he promised his joy, that his joy would be made complete in us. Remember, this is what I'm reading to you. And when you read Peter's letter and and most of the New Testament, there was a great persecution going on to the early church. Emperor Nero from the the Roman Empire, he burned Rome on purpose and blamed the Christians. And so persecution broke out against Christians to the point where they were imprisoned, tortured, used as human torches in, in, in the city to show, hey, if you don't show allegiance to Rome and to the emperor and you're talking about this other king and kingdom, this is what's gonna happen to you. You know what? There are places in the world today where they're persecuted for doing what we're doing right now, for worshiping the true king. Don't ever forget them. Keep them in your prayers. Peter is writing this letter to be circulated to all the churches, the scattered churches, to encourage their hope. So I broke this down, this passage down, into four truths. To daily live in hope, I need to remember four truths. We need to remember four truths. And remind ourselves, how to remind ourselves that we're not hopeless. The first one is this. This world is not our home. This world's not your home. That's important. P. 
Peter says this in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. That word exile means you're a stranger in a strange land. You're a foreigner. You're a pilgrim. You're a temporary resident. You're an alien. These words, exiles and strangers and all that, describe people who are not in their real home. You're you're living in a place that you're not really a citizen of. And if this is going to hit home, we got to ask ourselves the question, and I ask myself first, what do we typically find ourselves worrying about, getting discouraged about? It's usually temporary things. Will there be enough money? Will Will I be able to pay the bills? What about my health? What about this? They're all temporary things. And it's not that we shouldn't care, but when our mindset is that our citizenship is in heaven, not here in the allegiance with this world, those problems seem to, to become a lot smaller. Jesus said, don't worry. Don't worry about money. Who of you, by worry, can add one hour to your life? None of us can do that. I've been, I was thinking about this. We, as Jesus put it, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. But we're sent back into the world to be an influence in our communities, in our neighborhoods, our schools. And we live in two worlds at the same time, so to speak. Many of us have done like foreign missions, especially the Dominican Republic. I've had the privilege of other places. And when you go to a foreign country, you usually stick out because Americans stick out wherever they go. (laughs) We tend to be the louder ones or whatever. But usually you don't speak the language or you don't know the culture. It's funny, like I used to do a lot of church work in Scotland. And if we're on vacation somewhere that's more of a touristy area, um, I can spot a Scottish person like that. Obviously, by the way, they talk, Scotland, you know, all that. But even if they don't even have to open their mouth for me to just look at their shoes, they're probably wearing a soccer, you know, jersey of some sort, their haircut, like you can just tell. And it, they, they, they fit their culture. And when they're not in their culture, they stick out. We are strangers in this world because of our true citizenship, our true citizenship. Paul said this. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the deal. When you follow Jesus, you transfer your allegiance from one kingdom to another. And it's a lifelong battle to realize, which kingdom am I going to serve? Which kingdom has my full allegiance with my time, talent, and treasure? Which kingdom has my full allegiance, how I think, act, and speak, how I treat people, how I treat my, my wife, my kids, my family. That's, that's a constant battle. But if you are a follower of Jesus, your true citizenship is in heaven with him. And you learn to live from that citizenship. I want to talk to our young people for a moment. Don't spend your, don't waste your life following the American dream. The American dream is great. 
and there's nothing wrong with it, but don't make it your God. Don't make it, don't give that your allegiance. Give Jesus your allegiance and let him sort the rest of it out. How many of us old farts wish we could go back in time and say, hey, 18-year-old Scott, follow Jesus, dummy. Like, let him lead your life instead of you trying to lead your life and think you know what's best. Young people, give your allegiance to Jesus all your life. You will never regret it. How many know what I'm talking about? You'll never regret that. So you're not hopeless. You are not hopeless. Second thing, truth to hold on to, to stir your hope up daily is remember this. We've been chosen by God. We've been chosen by God. He says, to the exiles who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. See the Trinity in there? You've been chosen by the Father. You've been called by the Spirit and cleansed by Jesus and what he did. Let that sink in. I mean, it feels good to be chosen out of a crowd. Janelle chose me. Out of all the possibilities, she chose me. Thank God for that. I think she married me for my money. That's what it was. (laughs) It's definitely not my looks. In uh, January of 2022, we were in the DR. We had a team down there. And there's a village that we've built a really cool relationship with over the years called La Valsa. And like, we'll get off the bus and they'll, they'd be calling out us by our names. Hey, Scott, you know, and I've seen some of these guys grow from like little eight-year-old boys to now they're young men. They'd be like, Scott, what's going on? It used to be Scott. Now it's Scott, you know, but we, we like to play baseball. I always try to get a baseball game going and, um, Two of the older young adults, they're really good athletes, really good players. They, they were the captains. And so a bunch of us went out to play baseball with them. And they divided us up and they said they were going to pick. And with the first pick, they picked me. They picked the old fart. They knew that they were honoring me. And I'll tell you, that felt kind of good because I wasn't going to be the best player out there. <laughs> but they, they picked me. And they, that just that, that feeling of hey, I want you. Um, When I got a scholarship to play baseball, my college coach said, I want you to play for me. So I'm going to give you a scholarship. I felt pretty good. One summer though, in uh, summer traveling baseball, I got cut from the team. And I felt like it was an epitism. I got to get over that. I'm still praying through it. But um, it didn't feel good to not be wanted, right? That, that never feels good. So what we have to understand is this. You, by your heavenly father, have been chosen. You're not just tolerated. Some of you maybe by your fathers, your physical fathers, earthly fathers, you felt tolerated. You didn't feel celebrated. You didn't feel ultimately loved. Listen, you have been chosen by the d- divine love. Divine love said, I want you. He created us. He redeems us. He sustains us. That should be a great remedy to our anxiety and despair and 
and even hopelessness sometimes. The church father, Augustine, said that God loves each of us as if there was only one of us. God, the Father, has this ability to make each one of us feel like we are his special son or daughter. Don't project onto God the Father what happened to you in this life, good, bad, or indifferent. His love, his divine love is infinite and perfect and has chosen you. Third truth to to hold on to is this. Nothing compares to what our ultimate future has in store. When you go through discouragement and trials, remember this isn't it. This life, this world, the difficulties you go through do not get the last word. Jesus has spoken the last word. He is the word of God to each one of us. The word of the Father to you and I is you are loved, you are accepted, you are redeemed, you have purpose, I have a plan for you, and it's not been fully fulfilled just yet until we find ourselves on the other side of eternity. Paul quotes the prophet Isaiah in uh, 1 Corinthians 2. He says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has ever conceived for, for what God has in store for those who love him and are longing for him. We can't even comprehend what our ultimate bliss future is with God. Peter says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Stuff breaks. Stuff spoils. It gets worn out. It gets old, right? You buy a new car, 15 years from now, you know, it's probably a dud. You buy a new house, eventually you got to remodel, put new carpet, whatever. You enjoy the newness very for kind of a brief time. And then you got to get something new, especially when it comes to phones and gadgets, right? The world we live in, it's like you got to have, if you want to have the new, it's yearly almost. Some of you still have flip phones, right? Eight track players. <laughs> those, those wear out too. I don't know if you know that, but um, life can be enjoyable, super enjoyable. It can be so good, but as good as life can be. Now, let me tell you, I've been holding my, my little granddaughter the last few days and getting to play with her. It, it doesn't get much better than that. Grandparents know what I'm talking about. It's the best. Um, but even as good as life can be, it doesn't compare to our ultimate future. It doesn't compare. You know why? Because in the future, when Jesus returns and creates the new heavens and the new earth, there's going to be no sickness no sorrow, no death, no aches and pains. Looking forward to that. But no sin. We won't be able to sin. It's done away with. I'm looking forward to that the most, I think, is to have no sin. 
Because this life is not our ultimate future. And I know that's my problem and most of our problems is we want heaven to be in this life. And we need to remind ourselves this isn't heaven. We have not arrived. We're, we're in between, you know, what, we, we're learning how to follow Jesus, be sanctified, but we're still going to have troubles and sorrows. Every one of us, our lives have an expiration date. There's no getting around that. And we try so hard to make this world, this life, heaven, and it's not. Once we start realizing our ultimate future, where our true citizenship is, and we're walking in a hope that is so powerful and can take on the difficulties that life bring us. You're not hopeless. And then lastly, the last truth is this. There is a purpose to your problems. There's a purpose to your problems. Remember Peter's audience. They were being persecuted, imprisoned, tortured because they followed Jesus. And he's encouraging them to walk in the living hope. And he tells them, listen, there's ultimately a purpose to your problem. He says, in all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, uh, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Here's a truth. Faith isn't faith until it's been tested. And faith can't be trusted until it's been tested. But it's never the amount of faith you and I can muster up. It's who's my faith in? Our faith is in Jesus. I remember when I first started walking with Jesus, October 26, 1992, coming up on 32 years ago. And I entered into this walk knowing nothing about the Bible, not knowing much about anything when it came to Jesus and spirituality. But as I walked with him, the more I got tested, ironically, the stronger my faith got. Anybody relate to what I'm talking about here? You start realizing that when life tests your faith, that Jesus is who he says he is, right? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is who he claims to be. And I've been through, just like many of you, I've been through some smaller trials, doubts, been through some big things in life that really tested my faith, trying to, to, to dead end my faith or detour it. <coughs> Excuse me. And yet each time that that happens, all of a sudden your roots just go a little bit deeper and deeper. You know how a, a goldsmith knows that their, the liquid gold is, is pure? As, as he turns the heat up and it gets so hot and the impurities and the dross all get, just get burned away. The, a goldsmith knows that it's at its purest time when he or she can see their reflection in that liquid gold. It becomes a mirror. 
And Jesus' goal for each one of us is that we reflect his image. That we, as image bearers of God, get all that dross and impurities burned off of us, and we reflect Jesus and the way he thought, act, and spoke. That's what he wants for us. And he wants you and I to realize that Jesus said this. I love his honesty. He said, in this life, you're going to have trials and sorrows. But take courage, I've overcome. We are not hopeless. And I'm not trying to um, make small of anybody's difficulties that you find yourself in. I want to encourage you. You are not hopeless. We can be helpless. It's okay to say, Lord, I am super helpless. But when we're with him, you're never hopeless. Because he's on the, he is with us 24-7. He's working in every situation. We're going to respond to, to this message this morning by, by taking communion. And as we get ready to take communion, I want to encourage each one of you. First of all, if you have never put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, today's the day. And to put your faith in Jesus is to simply come into agreement with him that he is Savior, that you can't save yourself, only he can, and that you want him to be the Lord, the guide, the leader of your life, that you'll follow him. You'll let him pick you up when you fall down. You'll continue to pursue in his footsteps to become like him. And taking communion is one of the sacred things that Jesus told his followers to do was to take the bread and remember his broken body. Remember what he went through in his life and his, his submission to death and that his, the cup represents his blood that was going to give us new life and make us new creations and that we could forever have hope. So when we take the bread and the cup today, this isn't a ritual. This isn't a religious ritual. This comes from the heart of, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I believe, and I'm building my life on you. So you stand with me. We're going to sing, and as we sing this song, feel free to make your way up here. There's some communion stations in the back of the room. But come up and get the cup, get the bread, take it back to your seat, and after the song, we'll take communion together. Really? 
As you hold the, the elements in your hands, um, the thought just hit me. What is your biggest worry at the moment? What has you fearful? Tell the Lord that your hope is in Him, not in the potential of what you're afraid of could be a health report could be a looking at a bank statement could be at a, a job you didn't get your hopes in Jesus it's secure it's a living hope it's a living hope he is alive forevermore death has no hold on him he cannot die and we're following right along with him as we follow him in this life Though this physical man will die, we will be resurrected with him. And that's our hope. Nothing can take that away. The Apostle Paul, he said, For what I received from the Lord, I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat.
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And as we take this cup this morning, we're reminding ourselves that we are in an eternal covenant with the Father through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. When you take this cup, you're saying, yes, Jesus, you're my hope. Lord, you're our hope. Let's take the cup. Father, thank you that you have given us everything we need for life and godliness in your son. Forgive us for trying in our own strength and our own power. Lord, we surrender all that to you. As your kids, as your children, we are sons and daughters of the most high God. And you love us in a family fatherly love would you just shower that upon us today a experience of that a realization of that thank you that your joy is our strength and made complete in us and that we have truly a living hope Jesus because of what you did we fix our eyes upon you the author and finisher of our faith not on our circumstances or this world. Help us, Lord, as you've commissioned us as we leave from this building today or, or watching online to go back out into our communities and be people who spread hope, spread the good news by our words, our actions, and our deeds. We honor you. We praise you. We thank you. And may the Lord bless you and keep you Make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, give you his peace this day and forevermore. In the name of Jesus, amen.